Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. I'm an engineer who works for technical professionals so they can present more effectively, especially in front of non-technical audiences. And you can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Ginger Scoggins. She is the co-owner of Engineer Designs Incorporated, a consulting engineering firm. They do mechanical, electrical, plumbing, and fire protection work. She's also president-elect of the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers. That's Ashray for short. I, I highly doubt everyone says the whole thing. <laughs> I'm interested to learn more about her journey into engineering, the founding of her firm, or the founding of her firm, and her involvement with Ashray. Welcome to Teach the Geek interviews, Ginger. Thanks, Neil. Happy to be here. So, from the bit of research I did on you, I saw that you got a degree in mechanical engineering. What motivated you to get that degree? Well, that's a good question. So, I started as a math major. Uh, I was going to be an actuary. Um, and uh, found out, you know, halfway through that you really needed a degree in statistics, which my school didn't offer. And um, so I had a really good friend in mechanical engineering. And uh, so I decided to switch over to mechanical engineering after being a math major. So it was a good switch. I'm glad I did it. But then you didn't stop there. I saw you got an MBA, too. So what was the motivation to get the MBA? Well, um, I, well, <laughs> starting a business, right? So getting your MBA is uh, uh, kind of helpful in that regard because it teaches you things that engineering school doesn't teach you. I never actually finished my MBA. I started it. Um, but and then I had my daughter and then I had my second daughter. And after that, I kind of uh, never finished the MBA. But it was really good what I did take because it does teach you things engineering school doesn't teach you, like marketing and business plans and um, business development. Well, we have something in common there, Ginger, because I also started a degree that I didn't finish. <laughs> <laughs> I started a Ph.D. program. I only did a year of it. But I, I, but I have no regrets of, of leaving, though. Right. I, I will say that. But I'm really glad that you got something from the MBA program while you were in it. So, yep. you know, so I'm kind of curious. So you you got this, you get an engineering degree. You have some some MBA work, uh, although I don't know where, you know, what what span that is, or the, the gap in between getting the, the, the mechanical engineering degree and the MBA work. What kind of work did you do once you graduated from school from from mechanical engineering? Exactly what I do now. I just did it for other companies. So I'm a consulting engineer and design, you know, systems for buildings, things you guys, most people don't even think about in buildings, right? That have to work like your, your air conditioning systems, your lighting systems, your plumbing systems, your H, your fire protection systems, all of those that have to be designed. They're all designed by engineers that work with architects and owners. Right. And there's all different kinds of engineers that work in building sciences. And so um, that's where I got started uh, in the building sciences group, which is, you know, um, HVAC and uh, plumbing and uh, fire protection uh, after I got out of school. And uh, that's, that's what I've done ever since. Okay. And what was the, the motivation to go down that path? I mean, mechanical engineering is pretty diverse. You can go down a number it of is. paths. It is. Um, you know, I think that that was kind of the first area that um, 
you know, I, I graduated in the eighties. There was a recession going on. So, you know, getting a job, you were just happy to get a job. Um, and so, uh, this was like, and I had taken some classes in, in college on, uh, load thermal load calculations, things you do for buildings. So I think that probably helped me get a job. All right. But then, you know, I did mention in the, in the intro about your firm, what was the motivation to stop working for other people and start your own firm? So I, I had my daughter and um, my daughters are really close. They're six, they're 15 months apart. So then I had my second daughter and I uh, wanted some flexibility. Uh, you know, it was different in the eighties. There wasn't as much flexibility as there is today. You didn't work from home. You know, you, there was a tight schedule. You had to be in the office at certain times. And I was like, I, I just, I needed more flexibility with two small kids. So I started picking up some work on my own and um, just kind of, it kind of grew from there. Once I had a decent workload, then I, I quit my job and then I started um, just working from home, raising kids and, and working. And then it grew from there. Once the kids grew up, the business grew up with it. And uh, so that's been 25 years ago. So if, if things had been different back in the eighties where you could have had that flexibility while still having a job, would your business have ever been formed? I don't think so. You know, I'm, I don't consider myself a huge entrepreneur, entrepreneur. My, my father was. And so we, we had a pretty uh, interesting uh, time growing up with businesses that failed and, and started and failed and started. And it's just like, you know, you, if you grow up with that, you kind of want some security in life. And uh, so I was pretty happy with security. Um, and, you know, I had it a little easier too in being able to start my own business because my husband had a job and had benefits. So it was a lot easier than probably if I had been a single breadwinner and had to support a family by starting a business. That's a lot more, that's a lot more difficult. Yeah, for sure. You know, I also mentioned in the intro that you're the president-elect of Ashray. What motivated you to become a member or just get, become involved with the group? Yeah, so Ashray is a is a great organization. There's 50-something thousand members, 52,000 members, 130 countries. Uh, just uh, really represents our industry well. Um, I uh, got involved in Ashray with one of my first jobs. My boss was actually president of our local chapter took me to a meeting and uh, I took a bunch of us to a meeting and, you know, it's a volunteer organization. So you get involved and I, I look at it kind of like church. If I don't get involved, I don't go. So I, you know, I got involved at the chapter level and uh, that was probably 30 years ago. You meet a bunch of people in your industry. It's a great networking opportunity. And then those people grow up with you as you grow up in ASHRAE. So I've gotten more out of ASHRAE than I've ever put into it. And I've put 30 years of work into it. So it's a, it's a really good organization. As you know, you're a president-elect now, what plans do you have for the organization once you become president? Um, so there's a lot of um, things focused on tackling our industry these days, things that we've got to tackle. Um, we've got a you know, climate crisis and buildings uh, contribute significantly to carbon emissions in the, in the global climate crisis. We've got a workforce development um, challenge. We're, you know, we're, we need people in our industry that understand um, how to tackle this climate crisis. Um, there's, you know, um, uh, uh, equity, diversity, inclusion issues. There's, you pick it. There's a ton of issues to focus on uh, next year when I'm president. And uh, so 
So we're currently working through which one's going to be the major focus. Nice. You know, when I first started this podcast, Ginger, it was because of me wanting to speak to other people that come from the technical fields about presenting in front of people. And even that, even before that, it was based on my own struggles having to do it. My first job, I didn't have to do any presenting at all. It was my second job where I was a project lead, where I had to give, get up in front of management every month to give these presentations about project status updates. And they were terrible at first, <laughs> but I got a lot better over time because I didn't want to look like a bozo every time I had to talk in front of the CEO. And that's just, that just seems like how, how it was. When did you realize that getting better or just being a fit, proficient at speaking in front of others could be a benefit to you? Well, I think that was one of the good things that Ashray did for me, because as I moved up in the organization, I got a lot more opportunities and challenges to speak in front of people, like uh, being president of the chapter, you have to run the chapter meetings, and you can have 60, 70 people sitting there. And so, you know, I think you do get better over time, the more you, it's like anything else, the more you do it, the more comfortable you are doing it. I find that I'm better at speaking in public if I really am confident in the subject that I'm speaking on. If I try to wing it, I don't do as well. But if I'm if I've researched and I understand the topic and I, I'm really passionate about it, I do a much better job of speaking in public. The other thing about owning a business is we have to interview for projects. So you know we have to go before interview committees. We have to be able to speak the fact that we can do the project, that we know what we're doing. And you have to be confident in that to be able to sell that work. So, you know, that's taken some time, but I've owned this business now for 25 years. So I've gotten, I've definitely gotten better at it over time. You know, when you mentioned not wanting to wing presentations, I'm firmly with you on that, Ginger, because I have a friend and he, make, he gives, he, he makes fun of me every now and then for the fact that I like to practice my presentations before I give them. He's more of a, a winger, I, I guess you, I guess you could say. And I think you could definitely tell the difference between the two of us because when he when he talks, it kind of it comes out as it comes out. And so you don't necessarily put the information in the best way. But if you actually had some time to figure out what point do I want to make first and you know, second and third, you know, making that those kind of decisions, I think you can I think your presentations are a lot better. And so, so the fact that he makes fun of me doesn't really change the fact that I still practice my presentations. It doesn't bother me at all. And I, I firmly take your point about getting more confident. The, with 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 the practice as well, and and then also with especially with your work having to go up in front of committees to get work, well, yeah, you better appear confident. <laughs> if not, then it's like, no, we ain't giving it to her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think there's a happy medium. I like to be really prepared with my subject matter. I like to sometimes be able to wing the the verbiage that I'm saying because you do want it to come across as natural. You don't want to look like you're reading the entire time you're having a discussion. People relate to you better if they feel like they're having a conversation. So there's a happy medium between um, being prepared, but not being so prepared that you can't ad lib when you need to ad lib. So. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not a fan of memorizing every word you're going to say because I have a poor memory. So if I were to try to do it, it wouldn't come out so well. So typically how I like to practice is, I want to, there's certain points that I want to make and in a certain order and I practice it until I'm making the points in the order consistently. And then yeah. once I, once I do, once I'm able to do that, then I'm ready. I'm ready for the stage. I'm ready to get in front of the people. Yeah. <laughs> I like to have, I like to have bullet points. I like to have to just kind of as reminders of, okay, I got to make sure I hit this topic. I got to make sure I hit this topic. So I like to have bullet points. Yeah. I'm a big fan of bullet points too. 
Yeah. You know, when it comes to just getting in, in front of people and speaking, is that something you've always been good at? And if not, no. what did you do to get better at it? No, no, I could tell you that. No, I, I was I am not an, a natural extrovert when it comes to speaking in front of people. Um, like I said, I think you just get better. The more you do it, um, the better you get. It's interesting. I've, I've sat in a lot of interviews where I've watched other people interview and some of the people you think that would be really good at it surprise you when they're not. <laughs> and some of the people that you think would not be good at it surprise you when they are. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic. You can see people, some people just come alive in front of other people and they love interviewing um, and being the center of the attention. And some people really struggle with it. So it's just, it's having some grace when you're watching it and realizing that it's just, it may not be a natural habit for some people. Yeah, for sure. I I definitely count myself as an introvert, very much so. But if I have something I think is important to say, then I'm more than willing to get up in front of people to say it because I just don't want to stay in my head. I want to share it with everybody. (laughs) It's, It's so unfortunate with people who maybe skew more towards introversion that they're not comfortable getting up in front of people and speaking. I would hope they were able to get over that because then they're not sharing what they know with the world and the world could possibly benefit from what they know. Exactly right. And, you know, it just seems these days we have such low tolerance for anything that's not polished and shined. And we should really recognize that a lot of people, you know, they, they have a lot to share and they may not share it the way you want to share it, but they're going to, if they can share it and feel comfortable in that, that's, that, that would be, that would go a long way. hundred percent. I mean, no, everyone's trying to be the next Tony Robbins. And right. I don't think we would want everyone to be the next Tony Robbins because then right. we wouldn't be able to dis- distinguish anybody from him because everyone would just be like carbon copies of him. And, you know, carbon copies are never as good as the original anyway. You just want to become the best uh, at at presenting that that you are, you know, being true to who you are, but then also conveying the information in a way that the people that are, that are, you're speaking to can really take in and understand. It's kind of a, it's a balance between what the people want and what you're willing to do. That's right. So when it comes to giving presentations, do you have a process for putting your presentations together? And if so, what is it? I do. Um, I really try to do an outline first of what I want to talk about and uh, make sure I hit those bullets in terms of what what the speech is going to be and then pull the the visual presentation in after I've got that kind of in my head. I'm working right now on my presidential speech for ASHRAE for next year. And so I'm trying to make sure I get all the, the bullets in there that I want. There also needs to be some components that are uh, funny or, you know, or more, um, 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 they really like us to talk a little bit about ourselves as well, which I, I kind of struggle with. So I'm trying to figure out how to weave all this into a 30 minute presentation that is going to keep people's interest. Okay. When do you have to give this presentation? I have to start in uh, the spring. We have some smaller meetings in the spring where I have, it's kind of a, these are dry runs for the big, the big presentation, which happens at our meeting in, uh, in June of next year. Wow. Okay. In the spring. So man, you really are a preparer. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of, well, it's a big deal because our, our meeting in June, we have over 500 people in the room and we have it's Facebook live and it's just, it's a lot. So 
I just want to be ready for that. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't doubt, I don't doubt that you'll do a great job based on the amount of preparation. You're starting the winter. <laughs> By yeah. the time the spring's ready, spring's here, you'll be ready for, you'll be ready for it. No question. They, they might've learned already not to have a president that wings it. So they tell us to start early. So. Oh, <laughs> nice. So that's smart on their part, I guess. Yeah. So before you give presentations, do you ever get nervous? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? Oh Yeah. You know, it's funny, and, and I maybe have a kind of a unique background there. My dad was actually a singer, so he loved being in the spotlight and he loved getting up on stage. But my mother was the opposite and she didn't she didn't like any of that. So it's kind of a marrying of the two. I'm really nervous until I get on stage. And then after I get on stage, I'm I'm usually fine. So I, I know that about myself now. So I just work through those nerves and then I get on stage and I kind of enjoy it so it's kind of a different um it's just you got to work through the nerves in the beginning yeah you know when it comes to nerves i don't really believe anybody who says they don't get nervous before they give presentations and if they don't i take that as a sign they didn't really care about what they're talking about i'm a firm believer tell you my father is one who just he can just he can get up and wing anything and he's perfectly comfortable in the environment where he's the center of attention yeah, and yeah. uh doesn't never seems to get nervous and I, you know he's been doing it a long time but he's it's some people love that adrenaline and love being up uh, on stage in front of other people well you know what it actually when i think about it it's how you how you phrase it or how you look at it you either look at it as nervousness or you look at it as excitement because i think the body responds to both the same so right. it's, it's kind of kind of just right. are you looking at it as a negative or as a positive? But I firmly believe that if you are going going up in front of people and you don't feel anything, it's because you don't care about what you're talking about. But if you're actually feeling something, and either whether you call it excitement, anxiety, nervousness, whatever you call it, you you're feeling something because you actually care about the outcome. Right. Okay. So uh, yeah, wonderful. Do you have it? If you were to offer one tip for to people who want to get better, become more effective at giving presentations in front of others, what would it be? Um, I, I would say uh, for me, what makes me feel better about giving presentations for other, in front of others is to know my subject matter. And so if I was to give one tip to someone who's giving a presentation, because I think one of the things that you don't know when you give presentations is what kind of questions am I going to get? Am I going to be able to answer the questions that I get, right? Am I going to look like an idiot up there when I get questions and I don't know the answers? So know your subject matter, um, be confident in your subject matter. And, and I think that goes a long way to confidence in your presentation. Yeah, I think you're right too. I, that's definitely, at least when, before, when I first started giving presentations, that was definitely a concern of mine, getting, getting questions that I didn't know the answer to. But what I started doing was just visualizing beforehand before I give presentations and just thinking about what kind of questions could I possibly get and, and, and figuring out what those answers would be. And then also it was, even if I were to get a question that I didn't know the answer to, being comfortable enough to say, I don't know. And, but then, right. but then actually getting the answer to it at some point. And that actually helps improving your presentations going forward because now you can visualize those questions too and those answers too, because now you have them. I know when I first started giving presentations, I used to lie. Even if I didn't know the answer, 
I, I'd, I'd make something up and hope they wouldn't catch me. But but then when they, they start when they started catching me, I realized I probably shouldn't be doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's a confidence thing too. When you feel comfortable enough to say, you know, I don't know the answer, but I'll get back to you on that. And uh, I think that people appreciate you being honest and saying that you don't know, um, but that you'll figure it out. Yeah, I, I mean, I can recall going to a number of conferences back when I used to work as an engineer, and it would be interesting to see some of the exchanges between the person giving the presentation and the people in the audience, because at least in those in those situations, oftentimes the people that are giving presentations and those in the audience, they might be, I guess you could call them competitors, because a lot of these were academics, so you would have somebody on the stage who's an academic and then maybe someone from a competing lab in the audience. And they'd be asking them these questions that you would think, wow, that, that, that's, that's pretty detailed. Like, did you did you look into this? Did you look into that? And it's just like, it's interesting to see those type of exchanges, to say yeah. the least. Yeah. <laughs> so this has, been a, this has been a great conversation, Ginger. Thank you again for being a guest. How can people get in touch with you? Um, so they can get in touch with me uh, on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, which probably is the best way to do that. Excellent. Well, everyone, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek, and you can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Ginger. Thank you, Neil. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms or on all of them also if you prefer to watch the episodes head on over to the youtube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com until next time